0: Our Father who is in heaven. Good morning, Father. It's so good to have a heavenly Father. Morning, big brother Jesus. So great to have a big brother who went first and shows us how to live and saves us. Welcome, Jesus. And good morning, Holy Spirit. So glad that you live in us. We pray that your name would be treated as holy in our worship today, in our lives this week, in our community. We pray that your kingdom would come. King Jesus, help us to experience your kingdom this week. Help us to share the kingdom with others. King Jesus, we look forward so much to when you come back and your kingdom is here in all of its fullness. We pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, may it begin with us. And as people sing us, do your will, may we have opportunities to point others to you so that more and more people in this community and around the world would do your will. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, these are tough economic times and meet the needs of of all of our people and, and our church and all of our physical and financial needs. We need you. Oh, in in our relational needs, we pray that you would forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lord, forgive us. And as you forgive us so much, help us to forgive those that have wronged us. And Lord, we pray that you would lead us not into temptation, but you would deliver us from evil, deliver us from the flesh, The evil within and deliver us from the world, the pressure to conform, deliver us and deliver us from the evil one. How thankful we are that we have your word and pray as we open your word together that you would teach us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This morning our scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 12. We're taking a break from Genesis to look at the verses that we really focused in on on Vacation Bible School this week. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Um, When I was in uh, college, I played tennis in college, and when I was in community college, I met the first person I ever saw who played tennis and watched the ball all the way to his racket. Most people, when they play tennis, that, that the ball's coming, and, and, and as it gets close, they look where they're going to hit it. And But this guy, his name was Terry. I'd never seen someone. The ball would be coming, and he would hit the ball, and his racket would be up, but he would still be looking at where the ball was. He kept his eyes on the ball all the way into the racket. See, here's a picture of Roger Federer. See the same thing? He's watching the ball all the way to the racket. And that's what we were doing this week with kids. We were were helping kids look at Jesus, look at Jesus, not take your eyes off of Jesus. And that's what I want to help you with today. I want you to look at Jesus. So let's practice this together a little bit. Okay, let's take our eyes. Okay, let's look up. Okay, this morning we're going to learn how to look at Jesus. Imagine how much our lives would change if we learned how to take our eyes off of our circumstances and watch and look at and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And and when we look at Jesus, what we discover is that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's where we're going today. That's what we're going to see when we look at Jesus. So will you say it with me? Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. We certainly don't live in a culture that encourages us to keep our eyes on Jesus, do we? Um, So so in the passage here, I want to introduce you, first of all, to the cloud of witnesses. See the cloud of witnesses? The cloud of witnesses. If we want to focus on Jesus, we we need to understand the cloud of witnesses. What, What the passage is saying is we need many heroes in our life, many heroes and one Savior. Listen, we need many heroes, a cloud of witnesses, but one Savior. See, heroes inspire us. They inspire us morally and relationally and spiritually. But a Savior, Jesus saves us. So notice how the passage begins with therefore. And I've taught you often when you see a therefore, you ask what? What is this therefore, therefore, The writer of Hebrews was writing to Christians who were uh, experiencing unbelievable persecution, incredibly difficult times, and he was seeking to encourage them, to encourage them not to give up, but to keep going. You find yourself discouraged? Could you use some encouragement? So in in Hebrews 11, he writes what we call the Faith Hall of Fame. All these heroes... All these heroines, all them who walked by faith. Now listen, they pointed to Jesus, but they weren't Jesus. There's only one Savior but many heroes. As I was walking through the Faith Hall of Fame this week and reading, I thought, we would today take them all out, wouldn't we? I mean, isn't that what we're doing? We're taking out all of our heroes, aren't we, one by one? And I thought, wow, Abraham's in there we would take him out, wouldn't we? I mean, you know what Abraham did, didn't he? He lied about his wife twice. He was willing to let his wife sleep with someone else to save his life. So we would take him right out, wouldn't we? How about David? (laughs) Wouldn't David be removed from the Faith Hall of Fame, wouldn't he? I mean, you know what he did? He used his position as king, what, to take advantage of a woman? And then he used his position as king to have someone murdered. We'd certainly take him out today, wouldn't we? And uh, how about Samson? Did you know he was in the Faith Hall of Fame? He never saw a woman. He didn't want to sleep with, did he? Wouldn't we remove him out? How in the world are they in the Faith Hall of Fame? Now remember, it's the Faith Hall of Fame. It's not the Good Works Hall of Fame. You know why they're in there? Because they walked by faith. You know why they're in there? Because they, they endured by faith. You know why they're in there? They failed a lot, but they never quit. And when we read their stories with all their failings, it inspires us, and we need heroes. It's really important to have heroes. I'm reading a book now, Seven Great Men and Seven Great Women. Sometimes we think we live in uniquely bad times. The reason we need to have heroes and to read their stories is to realize life has always been hard because we live in a broken, sin-scarred world, and we get to read the stories of people who, by faith, conquered all the difficulties that they faced. One of the heroes I was reading about this week was uh, Jackie Robinson, Um, the, the first black baseball player to play in the major leagues. What a story, both of an athlete and of a man of faith. Did you know that Jackie Robinson lettered in four sports at UCLA? Four sports, uh, football, basketball, baseball, and track. And when he, uh, when he was in the army, they wouldn't let him play any of those sports in the army because he was black, but they let him play ping pong. So you know what he did? He won the ping pong championship for the entire armed forces. He, he, he was an amazing athlete. But he was also a man of faith. And a man named Branch Rickey knew that the first black American to play baseball would endure unbelievable taunts and prejudice and racism. So uh, Branch Rickey chose Jackie Robinson. And to read his story, to see the racism he endured and how he endured it by faith, what an inspiration for us. What an inspiration for us to walk by faith in our time too. Another... (laughs) Another Hebrew hero in there was William Wilberforce. Do you know that William Wilberforce was five foot three? Uh, at one time he was six and he sick and he weighed seventy six pounds. But this man, in spite of his size, did you know he was elected to Parliament when he was twenty years old? Uh, he was twenty years old. He was elected to Parliament. And and you know what he did? He took on the slave trade of the entire British Empire, and it took him 18 years. It took him 18 years to get slavery outlawed in the British Empire. He fought for 18 years, and then he fought another 26 years. Talk about endurance. He fought the slavery itself for 26 years, so he devoted 44 years of his life to getting rid of slavery. Talk about someone who endured, right? And what's so great, if you'll read about him, what's so great is he hated slavery, but Jesus told him to love his enemies. Might we learn from that today? So somehow, as he argued in parliament against slavery, he did it with the respect for his enemies because Jesus called him to love his enemies. Wow. We need heroes Many heroes because they inspire us, but one Savior, Jesus, who saves us. Then, get to the ladies, and, uh, and, and one of the ladies is Rosa Parks, and to read her story and what she experienced in Montgomery, Alabama. Wow, you think we face difficult times, what she faced and how she endured by faith? And, and, and then another lady was in there is Corey Ten and how Corey and her sister and her father hid Jews during World War II. And listen, her, her father died in a concentration camp and, and her sister did, but she endured by faith. Wow. Don't we need that cloud of witnesses? Don't we need many heroes in our faith when we get discouraged that we can look at and be inspired? Huh. Now, if you read Hebrews 11 about this cloud of witnesses, uh, most of us like the first half of the chapter because the first half of the chapters is how all these heroes by faith overcame their enemies and accomplished great things. <laughs> but if you've read it, you know what happens in the second half, right? In the second half are all the people who by faith were willing to be purchased, persecuted and tortured and martyred. They did it by faith. Matter of fact, see the word cloud of witnesses? See witnesses? The, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the word for witnesses in Greek, you know what it is? It's martyr. The word for witnesses in Greek is martyr. And so many Christians were martyred for their faith that the word martyr took on the meaning of those who died for their faith. Um, if you need some encouragement, hey, get the book Seven Great Men and Seven Great Women, or better yet, why not read through Hebrews 11? Just read, read through the Faith Hall of Fame and, and you'll be encouraged. Many heroes, one savior. So, so let's turn from the witnesses to, to our savior. Verse 2, and and I'm from the South, and I've been working really hard this week to make sure I put a G on the end of this, because it's so easy to say fixing, but it's fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. That means he's the alpha and the omega, right? Now, since I'm into sports and, and baseball, in baseball terms, you know what that means, Right? It means he has the ball in his hands at the beginning of the game. He's the starter. He's the starter, right? And, And he's also the closer. He's the one who has the ball in his hand at the end to get the last three outs. He's the starter, and he's the closer. This is here, this is speaking about a, a race, and I love track and fuel. I love to go to track meets, and, and I love the 4 by 100 relay. And, and what this means is Jesus runs the opening leg in the race. And it also means he's the anchor leg. He's the one who brings the baton home. He's the beginning and the end, right? To put it in more theological terms, isn't this what the Apostle Paul means in Philippians 1, verse 6? I find this so encouraging, don't you? For I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you. Listen, Jesus began the good work in you. He's the author, right? For I am convinced of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, the author, uh, that he who began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's the perfecter. He always finishes what he starts. And uh, that means that Jesus' garage is not filled with half-finished projects, right? You know what this verse means? You want to be encouraged? Long before you ever knew Jesus, he knew you by name. Long before you loved him, he loved you. Long before you chose him, he chose you. It means when Jesus left heaven for earth, he did it for you. When he resisted temptation, he did it for you. When he died on the cross, it was for you. You know what it means? That he arranged your whole life and sent someone to share the gospel with you, and he sent the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and raise you from the dead and to draw you to himself. It means the moment you believed, he forgave you and and moved into you, and he's going to get you safely home, and he wants you to know the best is yet to come. Aren't you glad that Jesus starts it and Jesus finishes it, that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith? So I want to share with you in my own walk with Jesus how how there's been three different steps in that, how there was step one and two and three. And so for me, step one, step one in my walk with Christ is I came to understand that Jesus is my Savior. Is he yours? What The first thing that I understood was that Jesus died for my sins. Wow, what a day that was. H- have you experienced that? In 1 Corinthians 15, listen to this. The Apostle Paul writes, 5, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance. Okay, you're in class, and the teacher tells you this is of first importance. What does that, what does that mean? What? Yeah, it's going to be on a test, right? Don't miss this. So if you miss everything else, don't miss this, okay? For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So what is the core of what we believe? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's the central message of the Bible, and that he was buried. He really did die, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, my walk with Jesus began when I began to understand the bad news about my sin. Um, The way I treated my parents was a sin. Lying, stealing, abusing alcohol and drugs was a sin. Man, I had sinned against God in so many ways, and I was in big trouble. And listen, it's not just me. What does the Bible say? It says, what for? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have you ever seen your sin? Have you ever seen that you've sinned against God and, and God is just and we're in big trouble? That's how it started with me, with the bad news. And once I understood, uh-oh, I'm in trouble, then the good news became very good, that Christ died for our sins, that, that Jesus came to do something about my sin problem and yours, that Jesus is, is God who became a man. and. Uh, And he lived a perfect life for us, and he died on the cross for our sins. He didn't have any sins. So he became our substitute and took our sins upon himself. He endured the cross for you and me. Christ died for our sins and that he was buried. That means he really, really, really was dead. And that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. On the third day, Jesus walked out proving he had conquered sin and death. Sin couldn't hold him anymore, or, or death. And so Jesus offers us eternal life. Have you ever received that gift? Have you ever received Jesus as your Savior and Lord? If not, won't, won't you? Oh, the verse that, that Jesus used to change my life and my eternity was Revelation 3.20, where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears your vo- my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Jesus said, Smiley, look at your life. Your life is a disaster. Look at your sin. Wouldn't you like to be forgiven? <laughs> yes. And, and, and wouldn't you like to live forever? Well, well yes. And, and, and he says, then trust me as your Savior. And he, and he says, look at your life. How well are you doing running it? not too well. He says, listen, let me take over. Let me be your Lord. And listen, I'll live my life in and through you. And, and man, that sounded like a great offer to me. And so there was a day <clears throat> where I received Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And, and, and if you've never, won't you? I said, Jesus, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. Won't you? And I said, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. And, and I want you to be Lord of my life. And Help me be the person you want me to be. And he did, won't you? Oh, for over 50 years I've walked with Jesus. Do you know how good it is to go to bed at night and know you're forgiven? Wouldn't you like to do that? Do you know how good it's been to to live every day knowing that the best is yet to come? And and let me tell you, Jesus, (laughs) he has run my life so much better than I ever have, won't you? You see, the first step in my walk with Jesus is Jesus is my Savior. He he died. He died for me, right? And and you might say, well, what makes the Christian faith unique? Why is the Christian faith unique? And let me give you two reasons. You know why the Christian faith is unique? Jesus is alive. Isn't that unique? If you look at every other leader of a religion, where are they? They're what? They're dead. They died in what? They died. Stayed dead, didn't they? But our leader, what? He died and then he rose. And so my advice to you would always believe in the one who rose from the dead. Makes sense, doesn't it? Follow the one who rose from the dead. What makes our faith unique? Our leader is alive. What makes our faith unique? The cross. The central focus of our faith is not on what we do for God, but on what what He did for us. And, And listen, Jesus did it all, right? You see, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's what's unique. He did it all for us. So listen, in my own walk with Christ, the first step I took was to understand that Jesus is my Savior. He died for me. I'm forgiven. I have eternal life. The second step was to understand that Jesus is my righteousness. That Jesus is my righteousness. Do you know that? And what that means is Jesus not only died for me, that Jesus lived a perfect life for me. You ever wonder why if Jesus only came to die for us, then when Herod put the babies to death, why didn't Jesus die then? You ever wonder why? You ever wonder why he lived a perfect life for for 33 years. It was for you and me because to get into heaven, you need to be perfect and we're not. So he lived a perfect life for us. Wow. <clears throat> Let me show you that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. He God the Father made him Jesus Who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This is really good. Here's what happens the moment you believe in Jesus, your sins are given to Jesus and you're forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. Isn't that good? And the moment you believe the perfect life that Jesus lived is, is, is given to you, it's imputed to you, so from that moment on, you are righteous in God's eyes. Now, first I'll tell you a story, then I'll give you the fancy theological term. Now, now think about this for a moment, that you owed someone $50 million. How long would it take you to pay it back? How long? Are you there, what, you could never pay it back right so you had a 50 million dollar debt and a friend of yours loves you very much and he came and he paid off your debt so how much money do you have in the bank how much you guys there how much money do you have zero you're broke but you're not in debt that's what so many Christians believe they believe the moment that they came to faith in Christ they're forgiven but now they're broke And so they have to impress God with how good they are. But no, no, back to our story. After your friend pays off your $50 million debt you could never pay, he then puts $50 million into your bank account. Now when you look at your bank account, what's in there? What? $50 million. You say, well, no one would ever do that. That's exactly what Jesus did for you. He took your sins and you're forgiven. That means you're broke but forgiven, right? But then he put into your account his righteousness so that when God looks at you, he says you're beautiful, you're righteous. That your standing before God at any given moment isn't based on your performance but Christ. Aren't you glad? Here's the the fancy theological term. It's called double imputation. It means the moment you believed in Jesus, your sins were imputed to Jesus and you're forgiven, and his righteousness was imputed to you, so you're righteous in God's eyes. And I want you to know that that is throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible, remember? Remember back a few weeks ago, we were getting to know Abraham and God made a promise to Abraham. And God's promise was one of your descendants is going to bring salvation to all the nations. And remember? Remember in Genesis 15, verse 6, look look at this. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as what? As righteousness. Listen, so many Christians think they're just forgiven, and being forgiven is, is amazing. But when Abraham believed in the Lord, it wasn't reckoned to him only as forgiveness. He was reckoned as righteousness because the righteousness of Christ was imputed to him. Do you know the verse that started the Protestant Reformation? Do you? It, Martin Luther tormented by his sins, and, and one day, one day the Holy Spirit opened his mind to understand Romans 1, verse 17. Romans 1, verse 17. Now notice in this verse, this is the verse that started the Protestant Reformation, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. He says, God supplies the righteousness that he demands. That God demands for us to get into heaven. We need to be righteous, but he supplies it to us. That's what began the great doctrine of justification by faith. That the moment we believe in Jesus, that not only are we forgiven, but we're made righteous. Not for our own righteousness, but his given to us. So I talk to Christians all the time, and they tell me, well, Smiley, I'm not a good Christian. To which I always ask, well, well, what's a good Christian? Are there two kinds of Christians, good Christians and bad Christians? Do you really think you can add anything to do, anything to what Christ has done for you? Don't you realize you're already righteous in His eyes? Oh, Smiley, I, I, I need to read the Bible more. I need to pray more. To which I always ask, why? Because if they tell me, because I want to be a good Christian, I want listen, no, no, you're already righteous in God's eyes. But, but if they tell me, oh, I need to read the Bible more because I want to know Jesus. If they tell me I want to pray more because I need him, then I'll say, what, way to go, way to go. But not to make ourselves righteous. So many of you have been doing the study with us, we were doing the study. We were reading through 1 Corinthians this week. Didn't you have a good time? I loved our time in 1 Corinthians. And, and look at the treasure I found in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 30, talking about Jesus being the author and perfecter of our faith, right? The author, look at this. But by his doing, you were in Christ Jesus. Are you a Christian? Thank you, Jesus. It's by your doing. You're the author and the perfecter, right? But by his doing, you were in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom. Jesus is our wisdom. We can be wise by getting to know him, right? And the wisdom from God and righteousness. Wow. Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you. Uh, And sanctification. He's the one who, who changes our lives and redemptions so that justice that is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So listen, step one, step one in, in getting to know Jesus, the author and perfector of our faith, was that Jesus is my, he's my Savior. He died for me. I'm forgiven. The second step, the second level for me was Jesus is my righteousness. He lived for me. He's the one who makes me beautiful to God. But it's been much more recently that, I, that I've taken the, the third step, which is to understand that Jesus is my model. He's my model for life and ministry. You ever wonder what our lives are meant to look like? Well, Jesus lived on earth for 33 years, right? And he gave us a model of the beautiful life, didn't he? The way life is meant to be lived. He's our model for life, but also for ministry, isn't he? While Jesus was here, not only did he live and die, but he trained 12 disciples to make disciples, and he told them to go and make disciples who could make disciples so the world could be reached, right? So he's our model for life and ministry. You you, want to win people to faith in Christ? Follow Jesus. You want to know how to disciple people? Follow Jesus. And to help us in that, to help us in that, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And and you know what the Holy Spirit does? He exalts Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Don't you want to live like that? Don't you want to do ministry like that? And then he forms him in us. So, back to our passage this morning. You, You ever find that life is hard? I mean, being married is hard, and being single is hard, and being a parent is hard, and parenting is hard, and, and then you add on top of that, you add on top of that the, the COVID-19, you add on top of that all the anger and, and racial uh, conflict in our country, and it's hard, isn't it? You ever want to quit? And, and then is it ministry hard? You lead small group week after week, and people don't show up, and they don't thank you, and you say, "Why am I doing this? You ever want to quit? You're trying to win your friends to Christ, and they're not cooperating, and you say, "Wow, this is so hard. you ever want to quit?" That's why this was written, the Holy Spirit whispering, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, look, everyone found it difficult. Don't give up, don't give up. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Listen, lay aside encumbrances, things that aren't bad, but keep you from running well, and lay aside sins which entangle us. (laughs) You know what I think about when I hear the word entangle? Me and plastic wrap. If I try and work with plastic wrap, all it does is get all entangled into a mess and I have to use piece after piece, right? Don't let sin or encumbrances entangle you, uh, which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Listen, when life is really hard, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus was facing being betrayed and deserted and dying on the cross, he looked ahead and saw him with the Father, and the Father saying, well done, good and faithful son. He looked ahead and saw you and me with him forever. Man, when life gets hard, let's remember the joy. One day we'll be with Jesus, right? And one day all the people that we help win to faith in Christ and to disciple, they'll be with and we'll be so glad we endured while we're here, right? For consider him. Man, when it's really, really tough, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners. Listen, no matter what we experience, we will never experience more hostility than Jesus did, will we? against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Uh, there it is. Step one, Jesus is my Savior. He, he, he died for me. Step two, Jesus is my righteousness. He, he lived for me. Step three, Jesus is my model for life and ministry, and he gives me the Holy Spirit so that I would have the desire and want to follow him in life and ministry. So, so let's take all of this and then let's, uh, let's turn a corner and, and, and here's what I would like you to do this week. The, the action step this week is very, very simple. It's just to keep looking at Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus. Do you realize that's really our part in the Christian life? Our part is to keep looking at Jesus and the Holy Spirit's part is to form Him in us. As we look at Jesus, the Holy Spirit forms Him in us. And so I want to I want to help you understand what it means to keep looking at Jesus. The first thing, and I've taught you this often, but, but I would remind you, is, and that is we need to learn to gaze at Jesus and, and glance at our circumstances. We need to learn to gaze at Jesus and glance at our circumstances. So, so let me ask you, this past week, did you spend more time gazing at Jesus or watching the news? Did, did you spend more time looking at Jesus or on social media? Which one? Because in general, I can look at someone and I can tell where they've been looking. If you want your face to change, if you want your life to change, then gaze at Jesus and glance at our circumstances. I mean, isn't it true that most of us, were gazing at our circumstances and every now and then we just help, help, help? What if we reverse that? And and, and our default was to gaze at Jesus. And, And you say, well, how do we do that? It starts on the first day of the week. Do you know why we've gathered together? So that we would start our week taking our eyes and gazing at Jesus. Do you realize this is the most important time of the week? Do you realize that? Where else are we encouraged to gaze at Jesus? And we do it together. That's so important. Do you really think you're going to run the Christian life by yourself? Do you? Do you really think you're going to follow Jesus by yourself? Don't we need each other to remind each other to gaze at Jesus? The reason we gather together, we sing. Why? To gaze at Jesus. And we pray. Why? To gaze at Jesus. And you know why we give in the service? We give in the service to gaze at you're our hope. You're our hope. Not the civil government. You're our hope. I'm investing in you. The reason we gather together, we gather as the family of God and say, Jesus, we want to lift our eyes up. Teach us from your word. Isn't that why we gather? To gaze at Jesus. Isn't that why we gather in small group? I love being in small group. You know what we do? We gather around Jesus and we encourage each other and pray for each other. We open up the word of God and gaze at Jesus together. Every morning I get up. Before I gaze at the world, I gaze at Jesus. Do you? You want to change your life? Then when you get up in the morning, make the first thing that you do to gaze at Jesus. Open up His Word. Gaze at Jesus and His Word. Spend time with Him in prayer. It'll change your life. A thousand times every day I find that I'm gazing at my circumstances and my heart is so filled with fear or anger and And what I do a thousand times a day, I stop. And I gaze at Jesus and I fix my eyes on Jesus. Won't you? What does it mean to keep looking at Jesus? It means we make a commitment that we're going to gaze at Jesus and glance at our circumstances, and we're always working to do that. You know what it means to keep looking at Jesus? It means we need to talk about him, keep talking about him. When we talk about Jesus, our eyes are on Jesus. That's why it's so important we learn to talk about him. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people say, well, you know, Smiley, my faith is, is, is private. Your faith is not private. Your faith is personal, yes, but, but it's not prov- private. It's meant to be talked about. L- let me show you. Now, <clears throat> the Great Commission, uh, the last commandment that Jesus gave, and listen, Please don't embarrass me. If you're ever on a game show and one of the questions is, what is the Great Commission? I want you to know it, okay? Please don't say, I never heard it. Please. The, the Great Commission is His last commandment, which is to make disciples, which is our purpose. Now, his last commandment, which is the Great Commission, is Jesus says, go therefore, because of who I am, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, this is, might surprise you, but there's two commands in the Great Commission. And most people get them all wrong, so let me help you. The first command in the Great Commission is make disciples. The first command is make disciples. What it really means as you go to work, as as you play on your team, as you live in your neighbor, as you go through life, make disciples. Well, what's involved in making disciples? The baptizing is we want to introduce people to Christ. We want to win people to Christ. And then based on that, then we want to teach them. We want to build them up and equip them. So the first main verb is to make disciples. As you go through life, make disciples. Win people to Christ, build them up. Now the second command is hidden. The second command is hidden. See and the low, see the word low? The Greek word there is a do. It's a command. It's a command. Look! Fix your eyes on Jesus. Open your eyes. Now notice what he says, that when we're talking about Jesus, I'm with you always. If someone asks me, Smiley, when is Jesus the most real to you? I would say that Jesus is the most real in my life when I'm talking to someone else about him. When I'm talking with someone else, he says, look, I'm with you. One of the habits we're trying to teach you, if you would pick up the study and join us in reading the Bible, is every day we're learning to what? We're learning to read the Bible. You can read the Bible. You don't have to read some devotional book about the Bible. You can read the Bible. You've got the Holy Spirit. You can do it. And then we're learning to pray, right? To pray. And then we're learning to what? To share. When you share with someone else what you learn in your time with Jesus, you'll see Jesus. It'll change your life. So nice doing the study. Karen and I now, we're reading the same thing we've always read from the Bible. Now we read the same thing. When we have dinner, we can ask each other, what you learn in your time with Jesus? We read the same thing. It's so good. When I come to work... When I have lunch with, one of our, uh, with someone, I always ask them, what are you learning in your time with Jesus? And when we talk about Jesus, he's visible to us. Will you cultivate that habit of spending time with Jesus? You gaze at him, right? And you read his word, and then you pray his word, and then you share his word, right? And, and listen, another habit that we should really develop is we should always look for ways to share with others what we learned on Sunday. If you want to keep looking at Jesus, then share with others what you learn. Why not this week share with someone, hey, could I share with you what we learned in church on Sunday? And if they say no, that's okay. And if they say yes, then just say what we learned is that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. And if they respond to that by saying, I wonder if the NFL will play in the fall, then, then you did what you could do. But if they ask you, well, what does that mean? Then tell them. I mean, you paid attention, right? Just tell them, listen, Jesus is my Savior. He died for me and I'm forgiven. That Jesus is my righteousness. He lived for me and He makes me acceptable to God. That Jesus is my model for life and ministry. I'm so glad I follow Him. Don't you want to? Listen, you can do it. You really, really can. You've been taught. You've been given the Holy Spirit. And notice what Jesus said when you talk about him and you open up your eyes. You know what? You'll see him right there with you. Oh, dear people, this week, keep looking at Jesus. Gaze at him. Talk about him. You can do it. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so glad you are the author and perfecter of our faith. We're so glad you came and lived for us and, and modeled for us and, and died for us and rose for us and so thankful that you offer us e- eternal life. And listen, if you're, if you're here and <clears throat> you've never received Jesus, if you hear him knocking on the door of your heart, won't you receive him today? You'll never regret doing that. Won't you Receive him as Savior and Lord, saying, Jesus, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And won't you tell him, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and and give me eternal life. And I, I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, If you've received him for the first time, won't you let us know Uh, Won't you let us know you you could mark on your card that today you trusted Christ and we'd love to rejoice with you. Jesus, I pray for those of us who have received you that this week we would keep looking at you. Lord, this week, lift up our eyes to gaze at you, to gaze at you and not our circumstances. And Lord, I pray as we go out this week, that we would talk about you with others, that we would talk about you with others, and when we do, that you would open our eyes to see how you're with us. For we pray in Jesus' name.